Well, welcome back to the Pastors Podcast. Pastor Scott here with Pastor Jim. Good morning. And or evening or whenever you're listening to us. It's good point. It's not even it's not even morning when we're recording this. No, it's not. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a church thing though. Right? Like yeah. anytime you're I am in the church building and I see somebody, I want to say good morning. You know, it's a it's a uh, Christmas Eve n- evening service yeah, right. and people show up and you, all you say is just good morning. Good morning. morning. Yeah. Good morning. Right. <laughs> just, it's, should say good day. Good day. It covers all that's you know, right. sunshine. Yeah. That's right. Well, I hope that you have been enjoying the History of Cornerstone series we've been doing as much as I have. I know a number of you have really been enjoying this. Looking forward to the next episodes coming out. Uh, Jim, everybody just wants to listen to you tell stories. <laughs> Over and over again. It's really awesome. <laughs> I love it. There are, I mean, I, we're missing a lot of stories. There's stories, I mean, anytime there's people gather, I think, before God, mm-hmm. there's going to be stories. There's stories and, to tell. Oh, yeah. That's right. And yeah. great stories to tell. Oh, great ones. Yeah. Well, we're continuing with the third volume of this. If you haven't listened to the first couple, I'd encourage you to go back and kind of listen in order. But, um, but it's your podcast app. You can do whatever you want. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold you to that. But, um, but there are two earlier iterations of this, and so we've been recounting this history of the church from its inception in 1901 um, up originally through in the first couple of decades, and then in the into the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. last time. And that's basically where we're gonna pick up. We're gonna pick up in 1940-ish. Yes, and discuss the uh, yeah the, the war years and the post-war years which were really formative in yes. uh, the life of the church so th- Jim said these are th- this is more involved you got some notes here I have notes um, I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll this is the boom era for the church so okay uh, it's it I needed notes just to kind of keep everything uh, before me and 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 uh, give it some sort of organization I think uh, there's just a lot going on the the main change was uh, in uh, a pastor who came at that time and stayed a long time. He was here until 1970. 1948, right after the war. Mm. Um, and I should back up just a touch. Uh, the war years were difficult years for America because all the energy and all the, the uh, everything that was produced was going to the war effort. Mm. So it was it was a difficult time to just live here. We were coming out of the depression. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of money, but then we hit the war and suddenly all the unemployed people are needed. They become soldiers. Mm. Women become workers. They take the jobs that men were doing. They begin to build airplanes, bombs, all the things that you need for, for war. Mm. Um, and so suddenly within a couple of years, Everybody who is an adult and has eyes and hands is employed, huh. and uh, um, they're either in the military or, or doing something that's that's related to the war. And then you know you still have your grocery store and your car repair, but um, it, it just the, the the economy and the country just just did a flip flop. Do Do you have any sense for how that impacted the church? I mean, I, I imagine yes. you're going from uh, so many people out of work, struggling, things like that, to everybody being in work, but also for a very specific purpose. Yeah, and, and also I think there's a spiritual element. Oh. People were scared, and so people who probably might not have, in a prosperous environment where things were normal, n- not thought about their lives being at stake or something like that, uh, began to come into the church, and the church uh, grew very rapidly uh, mm. during those days. And with many converts, uh, many people coming in, um, either trying to figure out about God or having been recently converted and, and becoming believers. So it was an interesting time for the church. Hmm. It was also an interesting time because the dynamics changed in another way. Uh, uh, West LA be- was, was becoming a center of a lot of things. So, uh, for instance, uh, planes were built at what we call now uh, Clover Field, uh, Santa Monica hmm. Airport. Um, um, Douglas Aircraft, I think, had, had moved there, and they were building warplanes. And uh, all the men were at war, so who was building the planes? Women took mm-hmm. those jobs and began, you know, Rosie the Riveter type mm-hmm. positions. Um, 
began to open up all over. And many women that I met in this church, older women when I came here, had been working for Douglas or other companies around. Uh, uh, and they were some of the first women in their families who had ever worked at a job. Hmm. And uh, most of them loved it. Hmm. Uh, they were excited to get out and, and be able to help in the war effort. Um, but it was also difficult because there were not many men around. They were all uh, in the military. Uh-huh. And so uh, it, was, it was a very difficult time uh, in the early days of the war. S- so so at, during those times, there was a lot of, was that a time where West LA became, because of this manufacturing and things like that, became more and more of a hub? Was that the beginning of the aerospace focus in West LA? I mean, I know there's a bit of an aerospace history here. Yes. And this, so this was the establishment of that. Yes. And, and so a lot of people were working a lot, but there was also a lot of fears, a lot of upheaval, um, a lot of unknown. Yes. And, and there, are, there are many other factors. UCLA became a sort of a factory for oh. chemists, people who were going into like building bombs, mm-hmm. uh, uh, becoming managers, a, a lot of uh, things that were designed for like normal society suddenly became uh, focused on the war. Um, and uh, th- that, so UCLA boomed. Hmm. Everything boomed and uh, money was pouring in all, in all directions. Anybody who could do anything was working. Hmm. Uh, so there was almost no unemployment. And so was that really the first time that the church boomed in that sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. And if you listen to the earlier podcast, you, you'll hear bits and pieces where we talk about uh, the church is always financially struggling, uh-huh. borrowing money. There's a there is a Christian institution in Los Angeles that loaned money to churches at lo- very low interest rates so they could get going. Yeah, that was their purpose, and so w- uh, that had been happening. And several loans had come over over the last decades t- into the church to keep it uh, afloat. Um, and suddenly we were able to pay that back and and change that. Uh, we were. Uh, able to we the number of people who had moved here to either work or go to college um, grew and we that that so that the church boomed in and uh, and membership as well um, and and there was an interesting other issue which was that uh, people were very afraid since one of the war fronts was with Japan mm. and we live right on the ocean the pot- potential for uh, a Japanese submarine coming along and shooting at everybody or something like that. And there was a great fear of that. And I guess it actually happened once. There was a, apparently a submarine that fired a couple of rounds out uh, somewhere and just scared everybody half to death, but that's mm. as far as it <laughs> went. But people who were here when I came told me about that. Mm. And they said, yes, we heard the cannons go off. And we thought, oh, my gosh, that's the Japanese. Everybody oh, hide. Oh, man. So it was, a, it was a real fear to them, even though it was not an actual, it seems comical in, in retrospect. No, it, it, it strikes me because I, I was thinking of this just the other day. You know, you see coverage of wars and battles and even urban centers being taken over. You know, even just the, the um, current Russia and Ukraine war. And... The idea that this area, that where where we live, would be a front or even a potential front in yes. a war is so far from yes. my imagination, <laughs> right? It's so far yes. from my lived experience. Yes. Um, but in those times, it, it wasn't. It was not at all. It was a, a very real and palpable fear. Yes, um, it was that I, people and and people living and walking in growing and deepening in their faith were that these were the felt uh, fears and needs on the front of mind I would assume yes for, for many during that and, time. and we, we forget like Guam the Battle of Guam yeah one of the fears of that was that if if the Japanese took Guam that's a base that they could reach the Western United States from mm. uh, for you know bombing or whatever mm. Uh, that that would make us vulnerable. So that battle was was far more important than I think uh, people understood at the mm, time. Mm. But yeah, that was that was critical. So yeah, it was that was a real it was a real possibility that mm. there would be the war would come to this kind. Was, was there a was there a pastor that shepherded this 
church family through that era, or were they still cycling through different pastors during that time? The, the, they were cycling through, but uh, the the pastor who came at that time, who really was the the kind of the the, the stabilizer of everything, was an interesting fellow, Doctor uh, William Thomas. Um, he came in 1948. This is post-war. So post-war. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so things were kind of uh, still cycling throughout the war. And I mean, I imagine there's not very many uh, m- young male pastors right. available to right. fill pulpits right. across the country. Right. But after the war, yes, that's, uh, Dr. Thomas. That's came. when he came. Yeah. Before the war, you're right. It was it was older pastors who were not eligible to go overseas. Yeah. Um, and cycled through a few of them, and they didn't stay long. Post-war was an interesting time. Uh, people's people had been exposed to things they hadn't been exposed to before. Hmm. They had much more of a world view and much less of a kind of a closed and narrow country view. Um, so one of the issues that the church was very interested in was was missionaries. People had been to all these countries and realized that nobody knew anything about Jesus in hmm. uh, India or Vietnam or whatever. Um, and uh, they were concerned, and, and uh, so the church, kind of as a single mind, really wanted to become involved in uh, reaching out. And so, d- during that time, Dr. Thomas came. Dr. Thomas came, and, and I, he yeah. was uh, he, he was a missionary, or no, he had wanted, wanted to be. Okay, and um, uh, tried to. I believe it was it was in India where he tried. He went and and found that he was not. It was not what he could do. <laughs> he was just not able to do that somehow. I don't know what went wrong, but something yeah. went wrong, and he came back feeling very discouraged mm-hmm. and uh, happened to find out that this position was open and, and uh, um, applied for it, basically, and, mm-hmm. and was hired. And yeah. uh, was a, a really a brilliant man, a, a great man, a good leader, and uh, found his home here and really just... Uh, he came in... All these men came back from the war. Everybody was wanting to do something big to impact the world, uh-huh. and that's when the church became very dynamic, and a yeah. number of things began to happen. So, thinking back, I mean, it's it was that. It's, so it's that era that mm-hmm. we, Dr. Thomas came in 1948. Yes, right. That um, I think a lot of, especially the older generations here, look back to as kind of the heyday of the church. That's yes, what things were happening the most. So, yes. All right, so, starting 1948. How did that develop? What, what is the story of those those years? What what was that time like here at the church? Well, and and the, and the country as a whole, it was it was a, just a huge. I mean, we won the war. It was very uh, uh, questionable whether we would. It was a two front war, and, and so the fact that we won in both fronts in in both Europe and in uh, in Japan, uh, I think just must have been very exciting. Hmm. Um, women were very excited to be in the workforce yeah. at that point and uh, be able to do that. Although at that point, people wanted to toward, go back, so there's some controversy about that. But many of the women who were here when I came as older women uh, had pushed back and continued to work all through the 50s and 60s and were you know had kids, worked, did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a whole other dynamic that uh, began to enter our culture at some point, that if you're a woman, you don't just stay home and take care of the kids. Mm. Um, so that all began then. Um, they, the, uh, the church began to produce both men and women missionaries mm. in, in, in good number. Um, and uh, so, some of those we, we recognize, uh, like we have uh, Fletcher Lounge mm. named after Mary Fletcher. Uh, she sadly went to Africa, to the Congo, to be a missionary and was not there more than about three months when uh, she was in a car crash and, and was, died. Mm. Uh, so uh, they named Fletcher Lounge after her. Um, Dorothy Callick was another one who uh, wanted to go, a young woman who was very interested in uh, um, Nigeria. Mm. She was a nurse. Um, there is nothing in Nigeria. Uh, and and uh, she was there at the very beginning of reaching out as a missionary with, with uh, medical uh, help there. Um, uh, well, that's a that's a name. I mean, that's a name I re- I recognize. I mean, not just I mean Fletcher yeah. from Fletcher Lens, but Dorothy yeah. Calc. She was still alive when we merged the churches, right? Yes, she was. Yeah, and and she was here when I came, and mm-hmm. and uh, 
she was actually still a missionary when I came, and, and wow. we have been friends. We were friends until she passed away. Oh, my goodness. Uh, wonderful woman. She wanted to get married and have kids, but that was not going to be possible, so she passed that up to be uh, a missionary as a single woman basically mm. all her life. Mm. Sweet, sweet lady, and mm. a very good nurse, apparently, from what I understood. And mm. uh, many great stories. Sometimes we should do a <laughs> podcast on her. She had <laughs> amazing stories. Uh, uh, another one was, was uh, Dorothy Wright, um, uh, who uh, wanted to go down into Mexico to Oaxaca, the Oaxaca area, and translate, uh, uh, turn, uh, make a translation of the Bible into Oaxacan. Uh-huh. And so she was down there when I when I came, and I met her. I think she came up after about every three years to touch base with the church. I met her about twice before she retired, and as soon as she retired, basically she passed away. But uh, I remember when her Bible was was uh, held up in the front of the pulpit and in front of the church and mm. celebrated. She got it translated. Mm. So that was that was wonderful. Just a number of people like that. Uh, there's a guy named Tony Pizzotta who went to the Philippines. I mean, it just they were just blossomed, went all over, and uh, that what, was what. Oh. what we, so, I mean, I know you, you said that people were more aware of the world in mm-hmm. those years, maybe even for the first time. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? It seemed like the Lord was doing something really unique in those years because it wasn't just yes. one person. No. Or it wasn't just one church. No. It was a big movement. Yeah. Mm. It was. It was a very big outreach, and and. Uh, very dynamic, um, and uh, the exciting thing to me was that this church was kind of in the forefront of, of much of that with with uh, the the group that was the uh, church group that was forming that became the what was called Conservative Baptist Association, okay. uh, coming out of the Northern Baptist. And Dr. Thomas was also a part of that. It was uh, it was uh, his father and he who uh, began to try to put together a seminary to teach the Bible in a, a more conservative, if you will, way, mm. uh, that the Bible was, was the Word of God and, mm. and uh, was meant to be read uh, straightforwardly. And uh, that, so the Denver Seminary was started uh, out of that, and uh, he and uh, Dr. Thomas's father was the first president of Denver Seminary. And then a few years later, they started Western Seminary in, in Portland as uh-huh. well, same thing. So um, there is this kind of outreach beyond, uh, not just overseas, but, but beyond the church here in this country mm. uh, to, to create um, a different um, understanding of, of uh, how you read and lived the Bible out, yeah. uh, which is also, I think, very exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that came out, oh, gosh, that, I'm trying to put that into like historical perspective, that, that came out of those, those are the years of the battle over inerrancy. Yes. Right? The, the questions on is the Bible actually true and probably the most uh, widespread attack on the truth and inerrancy of the Bible from kind of a- academic circles, you know, casting doubt and things like that. And there was mm-hmm. this, this pushback that then spawned all, all these, both missionaries spreading the gospel and institutions shaping and, and, and growing that. Um, and it's fascinating that, that, they were that directly connected to Denver Seminary to Western Seminary, both formed out of that same heart to yes. train and equip people with a conviction that the Bible, all of it, is actually true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that uh, it's I'm I'm I I'm, I wasn't here, but I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there there was courageous, and it took a lot of work, and 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 a lot uh, was was done. Mm. Um, uh, the the sense I think in the in the in the church also changed about women as missionaries, and that's that's when yeah. That, so that's striking. That's yeah. striking. That the, these number of women missionaries being sent out. Yes, and that was new. Uh, uh, it was a it was a controversial issue at the time. I think people were very mm. protective, um, but uh, there the, the church had a different dynamic to it there were women who really wanted to do this, were willing to forego marriage and the usual uh, things that women did to do to do that, and mm-hmm. uh, a number of them. And so uh, the church accommodated that. And so uh, in Africa, uh, Europe, uh, Far East, uh, there were uh, women missionaries in, in, in uh, Central America uh, that uh, I think were 
outstanding, were, were brave, hmm. um, did really important things. And I think they were, they were just as heroic as the, the men who went out. Hmm. It's great. We're, we are gonna have to do a podcast. Maybe something more than that on the stories of some of these women. Uh, <laughs> uh, that would be uh, it's incredible. It, it's striking to me, and you know, it's interesting because I, I think that a lot of people experience, and maybe just on that specific topic, I think a lot of people experience the community here and the way in which uh, women are both honored and upheld and respected, and um, as as a change or a development from how they grew up in various places across the country or whatever. And so I think sometimes uh, people can feel like there's a cornerstone is making this, this shift or something new or providing a new mm-hmm. perspective. But I mean, even as you talk, I, I realize this isn't new to us as a church community. This right. has been uh, what God's been doing here for decades. Yes. It's, it's new oftentimes from where people come from. <laughs> yes. And and in but the direction as, you might go. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but as far as this this church community, it's the Lord that's something the Lord's been doing here um hmm, yeah, I think for decades. longer than yeah. we even realize. Yeah. And I, I think it's exciting. It's it, the, just this sense of initiative, I think that that, that uh, speaks to is 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 very powerful. Churches that you know sit back and just for their congregation, that's it. Uh, versus this, and it's and it's and it's not even one model for what womanhood looks like or what it how that plays out. But it was the fact that I'm sure back then there was a diversity. There were women who stayed home with their kids and yeah. women who, after the war, stayed at their jobs, and women yeah. who went to the mission field, and some yeah. that went to the mission field uh, as with their husbands, and some that went as single women. And it just it was it's the diversity of it that yes. strikes me. And other you know, women professors, women business women who uh, started businesses, uh, 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 less well known, less uh, more mundane, yeah. but uh, financially supported the church and and uh, mm-hmm. taught uh, classes and brought brought you know, college classes to the campus and uh, just a number of other aspects. I think the missionary one is probably the most spectacular in our minds because mm-hmm. of that. But but yeah. just a number of uh, women who. Uh, that that just changed the whole culture in many ways, and that came right into the church. Mm. Okay, so it's fascinating to think of that as one of the things that characterized these years, yeah, this season in the life of the mm-hmm. church: the missionary emphasis and the multiplication yeah. of, of people getting sent out, the establishment of some of these institutions, yeah. um, in the, the the part that this local church played in. In that, as a part of that movement, the what became the conservative Baptist yeah. movement. Um, what, what else characterized this this season? This, I, I mean, yeah. is it fair to call it the Dr. Thomas era? Should we? I th- that's, what it's, that's what we called it. <laughs> I think that's that's how people thought of it. Mm. Uh, it was. I think I would. He was it, kind of the figurehead. He was. Yeah, and, and he was a dynamic figurehead. Yeah. I think you you could say partially, maybe more than partially, it was the post-war uh, era, and mm. that would make sense. Um, you know, housing sprung up and family moved here because yep. of housing. And then we had a, a, a follow-up to that. I'm getting a little ahead of this, but uh, in, in the late 1950s, what happened was that all these people who bought houses here and then the houses grew very quickly in value, mm. sold the house and moved out to the valley. And, and, and so our membership rose quite high and then suddenly dropped quite low uh, out of uh, this social phenomenon of, of uh, the West Side becoming... Uh, the place to be and the the people selling their houses to get the money out of them and moving out to wow, the valley. these dynamics happened all the way back then. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Probably just in these constant cycles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so there there are huh. there's a lot going on uh on the on the west side. I think uh in the 50s and 60s that and and I think the dynamic that uh on campus at UCLA and then Santa Monica College began, campus yeah. began to grow and get bigger, um, was also, you know, the, the whole era uh, that came up with that. I mean, it feels like, to me, this is anecdotal, but it feels like half the homes in West L.A. were built in the 50s. Yes. Right? I mean, I feel yeah. like, I mean, my, my house was built boom. in the 50s. I, I yeah. keep talking to people in all sorts of different neighborhoods, and it was just, that's when this went from a... a agricultural area with kind of these hubs and towns mm-hmm. to, I mean, was the sprawl in a sense, it, it, uh, 
completed during that time? Or, you know, when did this become feeling like a more, uh, I don't know, more city, more town than country? Yeah, I think it was it was uh, kind of stop and go. There there are areas okay. that boomed, particularly near UCLA mm. uh, or near the coast. Uh, there were there were other areas that uh, were less desirable. Um, Culver City didn't fill in very quickly, but yeah. uh, Culver City was mostly uh, movie studios and movie sets. So mm. as they began to as the land began to uh, be uh, desired for housing, they gladly sold off and moved out to the valley, or simply sell to set up to do. It. So it was it was very much in fits and starts um, in the area. But one of the factors that uh, you, that uh, I noticed in, in reading the history of the church was that that there was this boom and everybody started going to church and living yeah. around here. And then then there was this there was selling off and people moving out to the valley and suddenly the, the membership dropped. I mean, the membership at one point was 900 people in this church. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how many services they had to have to, yeah, to yeah, satisfy yeah. that, but there were a lot of people in the church at one point. And then suddenly it dropped to about 300 or so uh, mm-hmm. over a period of two years, not suddenly in our, not like overnight, but with, with, with the change in the real estate. Hmm. So, and, and then it became expensive to live here, and then it was much more difficult. And then uh, we began to get a, a more a, a apartment population than a housing population. So uh-huh. all those cha- sociological changes. And another one that, that happened, uh, the, the, the racial issue uh, became uh, something that people began to look at. Hmm. Uh, there, there, there were no black people in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mostly white people, but there were, oddly enough, uh, Asian people. There, there was a kind of a, a um, I don't know if you'd call it a reconciliation, but but there was a kind of a welcome of people who were of Japanese background, having just fought a war with mm-hmm. the Japanese. But then, uh, as 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 a, uh, there are a number of Japanese who had already been here, and they were taken out of the area at the beginning of the war, and people yeah. know about that. Uh, but many of them, including one fellow. Uh, was a, a good friend of mine named Tad Takuda. We're, we're in, in the camps up, up north, but they wanted to fight for America. They considered themselves American, even though they're ethnically Japanese. And finally, he was able to get uh, permission to fight in Europe. Hmm. And so he went and, and fought uh, very valiantly in Europe and, and uh, won uh, medals and uh, was, uh, um, I think, a very, very brave fighter. So, so these these things were these other issues were coming through the church, incurring, you know, uh, being felt here as much as anywhere else. When you read about them in history, you think, yeah, that's interesting. Mm. But they were really uh, major issues mm. in the church and in the area. There are people who didn't like Tad because he was Japanese and didn't want to have him in the church. Mm. Uh, and he was kind of a you know he was quite willing to pick a fight with anybody <laughs> who wanted to, <laughs> wanted to challenge him, but. Uh, it's a great man, and I—I I, I, I was a friend of Ted's and loved him. Mm. He's a great guy. Yeah, I mean, that, that must have shaped the the community here as they wrestled through their own iteration of the reconciliation the gospel provides. Yes, right? yes. To say, what does it mean to be one church? Yes. Right. What does it mean over the? I, That's I, I think it's it's striking. It always again, it always feels like our generation's the one that has to deal with you know, these things, but yeah. um, it just takes different forms in, in yeah. each different generation or something. Yeah, uh, there, there's a, a black man who wanted to play the piano. Because he was black, they wouldn't let him play in the morning services, but they'd let him play in the evening service. And so he and a woman I, we should talk about named Addie Edens became the, the musicians for the evening service. Uh, she played the organ, he played the piano, they played them together, it was great music mm. uh he was a very quiet fellow um but but he wasn't allowed to play in the morning service he wasn't allowed to play in the morning service just the evening oh. service but um that you could see that change people began to accept him more and mm-hmm. he became part of the congregation very gradually um and what? and that allowed for other black people to feel welcome as well was that a was that a top down transformation in the sense that the you know Dr. Thomas or the leadership led the church in a direction or was that a grassroots like people's uh, 
hearts were changing and it was manifesting or do you have a sense for that yeah well i i would say it was it was complex hmm. because uh they were, there were, uh, Dr. Thomas, my understanding, I didn't hear him say this, but he, my understanding was he insisted that he had uh, the, the right to be here and, and be a participant in the service. Uh, but uh, he, he kept it at a low level because he didn't want it to be a fight that the church had to fight. There were plenty of other fights to fight. Mm. That's what I heard. He never said that to me. But mm. uh, when I came, uh, Dr. Huber was here and uh, he, he followed uh, Dr. Thomas as the next pastor up. Uh, a terrible position to be in, right? A, mm. An extremely po- a popular pastor leaves and you come yeah. in after him. Uh, uh, but uh, he really wanted uh, this man to stay and, and um, uh, so he, he found a place for him. And, and occasionally he was allowed or he was invited to play in the morning service, particularly when they couldn't get uh, an organist or when Eddie wasn't available. So uh, it became more comfortable. Mm. There was in the in the uh, late '50s, there was a company in Hollywood who began filming church services at the various churches around, mm-hmm. and they filmed one here. Uh, that I think has been lost since, but I saw a copy of that, and uh, they they rolled a camera down the center aisle uh, of the church as the service was going on, and. You could, I mean, every seat was taken, every seat was packed all mm. the way from the front to back of the church. Um, and there was a choir up in the choir loft, so it was just a whole you know, mass of people. And if, if you look very carefully, you can see him. He's one of the singers in the choir. Mm. Um, and uh, so there, there was just, I think, the beginning and the, the struggle with racial integration in the church, uh, the younger generations, I think, not seeing why it was a problem and the older generations having grown up with it and feeling uncomfortable. Mm. Um, So I I saw, I think, when I came, the remnants of that battle still around, but Mm. uh, it was was clearly in in the post-war years, it was a struggle to figure out how how we do, how we handle uh, racial differences Mm. in this church. And so in a lot of ways, the, the, no one here was, in a sense, leading from up front, you know, trying to push this forward it was kind of a, a, a slow and steady and, and and in some sense dictated by uh, people's developing comforts and that's well that's well said yeah I think I think uh, the war did a lot of made a lot of changes yeah so uh, one of the issues that w- was they needed workers and they didn't care what race they were they wanted to know if they if you could handle a screwdriver and mm-hmm. a and a you know I don't know hacksaw or something mm-hmm. but um, that that became be, became I think uh, the the ground for connecting across racial lines mm. that hadn't really been there before, or that had been class specific. Mm. So it was okay if your gardener was black or your or was brown or Japanese, mm. uh, but it wasn't okay if your neighbor was. And uh, then that that began to change. Uh, mm. I think through the war years and and then uh, post war. Um, and and that that I think the church kind of matched that. Mm. I don't think it got ahead of it, which just makes me sad. But at least mm. it, it 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 began to work it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, I mean, it, it totally is not an issue now. I mean, we don't even think about that. I think as as an issue. Mm. But uh, when when Ted Takuda came back from the camps, uh, people were surprised to see him walk into the church, and uh, so it was it was clearly the war had prejudiced people in some yeah. ways. Yeah, and I mean, it makes me think of just probably for a long time um, how uh, anyone who wasn't white probably had to uh, fight a bit, even in terms of, had to deal yeah. with the biases and the, some really clear and overt and Yes. lots more even uh, subtle that, that that was a dynamic yes um, that existed and existed here for that people had to deal with for a long time and probably I mean I don't know but probably some remnants of that we you know have even still feel yeah have even today yeah yep still feel yeah and that people still feel I think yeah. it's good it's a and just an, what an important awareness yeah. um 
we could talk about that more too. I know we talk about it in a lot of different, <laughs> different, different settings, but um, so um, so the so the church in, in a lot of ways it sounds like actually followed the and kind of reflected some of the journeying of the community the ups and downs the booms and and, and busts in in the community as well when when yeah. things became more so you said you know when things became more expensive the, the church shrunk significantly yes um because yeah. i imagine at that same time there was still an influx of people right somebody was buying the houses that were people were selling but it yeah. was not the same type of community or a community with the the same uh that they weren't looking to it wasn't a community that was looking to the church in the same way it seems not okay um i don't i'm not sure what the the sociological issue there the, the people who are were buying the houses were obviously people with a lot more money yeah um, and moving into the west side for different reasons be close to the ocean to better drive to work we won't talk about the actual numbers that were that all these really <laughs> expensive houses <laughs> we're going for <laughs> we're going for <laughs> but anyways yeah. yeah yeah right but yeah so people were moving in and and trying to be close to the ocean or closer to work was there was there still a lot of manufacturing well i th- see when was the uh, santa monica Freeway was built in the uh, 60s right the early 60s oh. so i think that was just coming, that was coming that, their way. Anyway, but before that, before. you had to take a two-lane service street yeah. basically over the Sepulveda Pass. Yeah, if if you were if you're working in downtown LA, you had to drive there on surface streets. Oh. Um, and unless you worked out here or uh, uh, I don't know, the 405 had been completed, right? No, yeah, no, I guess didn't. hadn't. Okay, so you were you were kind of stuck out here if you yeah. didn't. Uh, yeah. Um, mm, in- interesting. You got a long drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So unless you had a business here or you could phone it in, I don't quite. We didn't have email. Or, or, you know, were the stu- were the days. studios a mini- major employer at that at that point? Whether they were in Culver City or you yes, know, and, Co- uh, and Culver Universal. City, yeah, Culver City was a, a big uh, yeah, area where, exactly where, but uh, for the studios, um, and in the valley they were too. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's parents, the land that they bought where they bought their house had been a back lot for uh, one of the places that did Western movies all the time. So <laughs> they can sometimes see the rock in their backyard in a movie. Uh, so all that area began to, to change as it became, as the town grew. Mm. And the studios would sell off the land because it was more valuable mm. to do that than it was to keep it for a back lot. Okay, all right. Let, let, let me ask you an unfair question. Okay. <laughs> how how would you encourage us to think about this time? Because there, in one sense, it was historically unique yes. in the post-war years, yes. like, you know, never to be duplicated again. Yes. And so it's hard to look back and, and you know, be like, oh, like, let's emulate or, like, try to get back there in one sense. In a second, so it's, it's historically unique. Second of all, it was a very exciting time. The Lord was growing. He was deepening faith. People were coming to Christ mm-hmm. and the church was growing mm-hmm. and we're sending out missionaries. And it's a time of to look back on with, in one sense with a lot of celebration for the salvation and, um, and long-term gospel work that came out of that season. At the same time, it was uh, characterized by continued um, racism and uh, ways in which the church wasn't leading the culture but following along. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it would be easy, it's tempting for me to pick one, <laughs> to okay. either make it this, you know, glorious time and then try to get back there to make it this horrible time yeah. that uh, that trumps everything else uh, or to make it this historically uh, unique time that we, we can't learn anything from because it was so you know I and so I, I'm tempted to run to the extremes or to pick one and I'm curious how you look back on this time and how you would encourage us to 
to think about it, how, or even how, even, maybe even before you encourage us to, how do you feel about this time when you look back on it? Um, I, the, the war, I think, scared everybody half to death. Mm-hmm. I don't think that when Pearl Harbor was bombed, anybody thought that they were ready for a war. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as far as I can tell from both what people said to me and my own studies and when I went and studied this in, in my history classes, people were scared to death mm-hmm. that uh, this, was their, this is the fight for their lives, basically. They really did not think that they were going to uh, necessarily, it would be a slam dunk somehow. Mm-hmm. There was really, really a lot of fear um, and a lot of... Um, uh, uh, push back on, on we've, we've got to get together. We're coming out of the, the 30s and everything's you know, about me. I gotta find a job somewhere. I gotta figure out how to feed my family. And suddenly it's not about me anymore. It's about the country. Hmm. It's about how do we survive? How do we not be taken over? How do we have, we've got Germany over here and we've got Japan over here. Both of us trying to kill us off basically. Hmm. Um, and I think they were, there was a lot of fear, but there was, the response to that was uh, we have to work together. We have to be. A, we have to be all on the same page. I can't be having my you know issues out there. I've got to shut up and get up and get going. Mm. Um, and and so there was this culture I think of uh, during the war and following. Uh, we are like a giant team. Tell me what to do and I'll go do it. Mm. And that's how the, the, the church operated and functioned under Dr. Thomas, by the way. And that's, I think, how our culture to some extent functioned. And then uh, we got into Korea, and Korea was a war that didn't go well at all. It seemed a lot of issues. Uh, and people began to fray at the edges on, on the, the issue of we have to work together. And then we come into the 60s with where everything, like, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to go off and do this. Uh, it became very much the opposite. The, the children of the war generation grew up to be people who say, I, I don't want to be in step with everybody else. I want to do my own step. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this huge cultural change. And I think uh, that that kind of killed off the idea of the church being somehow one unit mm-hmm. following a leader. Mm-hmm. It began to be, well, why can't we do this and why can't we do that? Uh, and why can't we do both? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that the church followed a cultural change in our society that was it was kind of a major shift mm. uh i grew up you know but post-war not afraid of pearl harbor none of that made anything, made anything to me it was, it was just history lesson but my dad my dad told me about how how he couldn't sleep nights worrying that the his, uh, japanese plane is going to fly over any minute now in, in oklahoma mm-hmm. and uh and mm. bomb him, uh because it just looked so formidable and so scary and they looked so you know powerful so I think when we look at the church when I look at the church I see this uh, marching in step with the leader Mm. up until about the early 1960s or so at most Mm. and about that time it begins to change and uh, I think uh, Dr. Thomas left just in time to avoid the critical part of that the, the the come down from everybody marching in lockstep to the to the general's commands. He's mm. the general, and uh, Dr. Huber comes in to a church that looks unified, but in fact is starting to be at war with itself. Mm. And so that that change seems to me to be um, sad in one sense. Um, I'm not sure that I, I, I don't want to think about how God felt about it, but but the issue is who are we before God mm. at this time and who are we at, at this time? Mm. Um, I think at any, at any era, it, it may look very different in the way we assess God's will. Mm. And I think that it comes out of our society more than it comes out of the Bible sometimes. Mm. It's so interesting. I, and I think we'll, we'll get into the the Hubert years uh, next, next time, next time yeah. um, which is just a fascinating turn and change. Um, I, man, I, I, I don't know if this is our world or if this is just human, but my heart longs for a simple, simplistic judgment of 
you know, every era, every group, every time. I want to know whether these were the heroes that we should try to follow or the failures that we need to make up for or the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like I, mm-hmm. I, I want to make it simple. Mm-hmm. And what I constantly, in every season, and this is just you in life, but what I hear you saying is that there's, this was a large, complex group of people um, that the Lord used uh-huh. to do some uh, incredible things during that season who are also deeply flawed and deeply afraid. Yes. And um, the Lord was gracious enough to, I, you know, I, even even in Dr. Thomas, I either, I, I either want him to be a hero leader that I should try to be like mm-hmm. or... Uh, someone whose example I reject. You know, I, I, I want him to be either. Mm-hmm. Um, but life and humans don't work like that. Right. <laughs> That's what I see. <laughs> and, and, and I hear that you highlighting that over and over, kind of from every different angle. Yeah, I think Dr. Dr. Thomas was a great man, a strong leader, mm-hmm. the right leader for that time. Mm. And when he handed it off, he knew he was no longer the right leader. That's what he told me. Mm. Uh, I came after him after he had resigned. Oddly enough, Dr. Huber, who took over from him, had only been here about a year when I started attending. Mm. But uh, when I first met Dr. Thomas, he said, yeah, I've been following you. I know uh, about you and how you came to church and, and uh, uh, what, what you've been doing here. And I thought, <laughs> I don't even know you. What do you mean <laughs> you're following me? Uh, but he had he had kept an interest in the church. Mm. Uh, he knew more about me than Dr. Huber did. And, he, <laughs> and yeah, Dr. Huber was a great guy. But Dr. Huber was struggling with the church because the church was breaking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was trying to, to figure out how to hold it together yeah. until he figured out he couldn't mm. and that he had to move with a, a church that was in a different era. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what a what a unique time i mean what a unique yeah. time in the history of our country indeed what a unique moment in the history of our city yeah and particularly this part of the city and i guess it only makes sense then what a unique moment in the life of the church what a unique season um in the life of the church you know it's it's that that nuanced complicated um history in 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 your retelling of it it, it sounds like the Bible to me. <laughs> it sounds like the story of God's people yeah. forever. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, we're just starting Corinthians. It sounds like the church at Corinth. Yeah. Right? Who yeah, were yeah, yeah. filled with these genuine believers and the Lord was doing amazing things. And there were some like, some really major things they were, <laughs> they were missing. Yeah. But Paul loved them. Yeah. Cared for them. Wanted, knew, w- was optimistic about them knew they could grow yes and that god would use them for his glory um and that they could grow and become more like him um i think similarly i think we want our generation to be the one that got it right yeah and fear yeah. and fear missing something uh-huh. um and we, we should strive for to address all the things we can see and that are within our power and, and all the injustices. and um, But there's also a humility that comes when we realize that we're, um, our, our story's more like that than it's not, that there are things God's going to do for his glory yes. in our midst. And it's not going to be because we were so great or so smart or so spiritual, uh, but that he, um, he works through us and, and in spite of our failings. Well, yeah, and I, th- I think that it, it, if we think about it, hopefully it teaches us to say, okay, uh, I need to have one eye on where we are and one eye on where I begin to hand off the congregational uh, change people it's not very good, mm-hmm. yeah. to someone who's, who's more connected into that uh, because it may be that I'm not the one mm. uh, who continues to do this ministry in that camp 
with the mindset that I have with the people I've been working with. That was complicated, but you, you, I hopefully you get something of that. that yeah, yeah. That, that's one thing that I think churches get stuck uh, in a in a generation and 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 think this is the right way to do it, rather than saying, okay, every generation has a right way to do it that may not look the same. Mm. Same Bible, same God, but the the ministry has to change form somehow. Mm. And I think churches often stumble over that. I, I'm talking to a man right now who's, who's trying to redo a church and pretty much lost all of his congregation, mm. but is now developing a new con- congregation mm. because of that issue. It's the cultural, it wasn't the Bible, it was the culture. Mm. And I just think, how do we miss that? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Scary, I, but. It, it is, and yeah. it's, you know, I think that there's all sorts of ways. And I'm sure there's many more stories you could tell from that oh, era. Um, every era. But I, I think it's a really helpful perspective, both in how we view this church and its life during that era, and, and also then how we view ourselves yeah. as, as moments, as links in that chain. Yeah. Um, any last stories from the Thomas era you we you wanted to make sure you told that we we haven't gotten to? Uh, Doctor Thomas kept track of the church and what was going on, and, and he, he uh, I was not ever here when he was uh-huh. the head pastor. Yeah, but he would come and visit, and the funny thing to me was uh, he would take me aside and talk to me. I was not even on church staff; I was a new believer in the church. And he would take me aside and talk to me. And he knew all about me. And I thought, you're a wonderful man to mm. <laughs> pay attention to me. And I, I, I want to uh, honor him and say, you know, there's a ways in which you're not the main man right now. You're, you're not the main pastor. But that doesn't mean you can't touch base with people and, and uh, speak into the lives. And uh, I delighted in him for doing that. Mm. And I just want to honor him that way. Mm. That's sweet. Appreciate that. What a, what a yeah. gift. Yeah. What yeah. a man! What a guy! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what a what a fascinating season in the life of, like we said, the country and the church. Yeah. So indeed. Well, thanks, Jim. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, we look forward to part four. We'll we'll dive into the the Huber years. The Huber years. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> rodeo. Only gets more interesting, huh? <laughs> only only gets more crazy. <laughs> yep. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you look forward to that as much as I do. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in the next few weeks. So in the meantime, know we love you. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you on Sunday. See ya.